In 2006, the CDC recommended children aged 6 months to 59 months be vaccinated for influenza. This year, the recommended age for childhood vaccinations has been extended to 18 years. Why the huge change? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. And joining us to discuss the latest recommendation for childhood vaccination for the flu from the CDC's National Center for Infectious and Respiratory Diseases in Atlanta, Georgia, is Dr. Tony Fiore, a vaccination and immunization expert, a medical epidemiologist, and a captain with the U.S. Public Health Services. Dr. Fiore, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So when did the CDC first begin recommending flu vaccinations in general, and when did they begin recommending them for children? Influenza vaccination was first begun by the military in the late 1940s. In the early 1960s, a group at CDC was formed by CDC called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, and this committee began recommending annual vaccination with its first influenza recommendation back in 1964. And that recommendation was focused on older people, those over 65, and healthcare workers. Beginning in 2003, a recommendation was extended to include young children, and this was because young children had high rates, were found to have high rates, and had always had high rates of severe complications of flu, similar to the rates that are seen in older people. How does the CDC determine what criteria to use to make those recommendations, both for kids and for adults? Well, the recommendations are actually made by this independent advisory panel called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, with the CDC providing a good bit of the data that goes into their uh, decision-making. But they look at six categories of information that help them make the recommendations, and they're more or less what you'd expect. Does the vaccine work? Is the vaccine safe? Do we have enough of the vaccine? Is it feasible to get people vaccinated? And is it cost-effective to get people vaccinated? Who sits on the ACIP? This is a rotating panel. The members have terms that go for usually about three years, and it consists of independent uh, academic experts, persons who are experienced in public health departments, immunization program managers, and most panels have at least one consumer representative. Are there physicians that sit on this board too? Many of them are physicians. Often they're folks who have represented professional organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics at ACIP meetings in the past. So this children's recommendation has been in place since 2003, and then this year it got extended from basically five years of age to 18 years of age. Is this something that's been in the works for a long time, or did this just pop up suddenly? Yes, this has been in the works for a while. There's been interest in advancing annual recommendations to include all persons, but we've been held back by a lack of data showing that, that it was an effective means of trying to reduce the influenza spread, and also by actually supply of the vaccine. So the ACIP has been discussing this uh, going back into the earlier part of 2000, 2001, and so this is no real surprise. Two issues that you already mentioned are the amount of supply and whether it controls the spread. What about the issue you mentioned earlier about sort of the morbidity and mortality on individuals? Is that part of the decision-making process as well? Right. If I didn't mention that before, I should have. The burden of disease is a clear criteria for deciding whether vaccination recommendations should be made. And in the case of the school-age children where for whom the recommendation was just made, 
it's clear that these children have lots of influenza illness. They have relatively infrequent, severe outcomes like hospitalization and death. But it's also clear that they are the source of influenza transmission in, in many community outbreaks. And by reducing influenza in that child age group, the hope is that some of the folks at risk of more severe complications will have fewer contacts with people with influenza and therefore reduce their chance of getting influenza. What's been our experience with that on a public health standpoint? Have we seen that kind of a reduction in the spread of the disease when people are immunized? We've seen it in demonstration projects in the sense that when vaccination is provided to school children in communities and then compared to communities where the vaccination is not routinely provided, you do see some modest reductions in influenza among their household contacts. Now, what we haven't gotten to yet is the point where we have enough coverage in those children. In, in these studies, usually about no more than 50% or so of children had received vaccination. We think to really see a community-level impact, you're probably going to need a higher coverage level than that. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. Tony Fiore, a vaccination and immunization expert from the CDC in Atlanta, about the CDC's flu vaccination recommendations for children. So what percentage do you think we'd need to cover to actually see sort of this cost-benefit to reduce the spread of disease? Well, it's certainly difficult to say. Some of the studies have shown some benefits beginning even with coverage levels as low as 30 or 40 percent. But to really see an impact that will be easily measurable, I suspect we'll need to get coverage levels along the order of 70 percent or more, which will be a considerable challenge to get that high of a coverage level. What are the obstacles to getting that high of a coverage level, do you think? I think the largest is simply the enormous task of trying to get 58 million school-aged children vaccinated in a pretty short time frame. This is a unique vaccine in that sense. Of course, you know it's a new vaccine every year, but it also is very limited in the time that it's available and when it would be effective to give. And so we need to get lots and lots of children vaccinated in the space of a few months in fall and winter. And this is going to require probably going beyond the typical get vaccinated in the practitioner's office model and going to require community-based or school-based vaccination clinics. Have we seen that kind of school-based vaccination clinic happen anyplace? We have, actually. There are several counties in Texas that have been doing this for six or seven years now and having a lot of success. There also have been these demonstration projects in places like Nashville and Maryland that have attempted this for a couple of years with assistance from health departments and from the vaccine manufacturers and been able to get pretty good uptake of influenza vaccine among school-aged children. Has the CDC or any other group ever done the sort of prospective evaluation of what we would save in terms of lives and money if we really did that kind of a widespread vaccination? Well, we're dependent on modeling data, and that's always tricky because there are so many assumptions that have to go into it, particularly for influenza because of the fact that we have different strains, which cause disease of different severity circulating every year. Different communities get hit hard, others escape getting hit hard. It's difficult to say. I think the models have really ranged from significant cost savings to not so significant cost savings, and I'd be reluctant to pick one as the model that we would want to choose as what we expect to save. I think the more important point is 
just reducing overall transmission, it, it just makes sense that we'll see uh, savings in both burden of disease and, and hopefully also in cost. What are the valid substantiated risks of vaccination, especially with kids? Well, children tolerate the vaccine really quite well. Um, the main thing that children will get is just like adults. They'll get some pain at the injection site. Some children don't even get that. That is for the injected vaccine. Other children might get a day of fever or might have muscle aches for a day or something like that. For the intranasal vaccine, of course, you don't get the injection type pain, but you do sometimes get some upper respiratory symptoms with a stuffy nose, maybe a cough. And again, this usually lasts only a day or two. The only side effect uh, that we have noted and been more concerned about has been the use of the intranasal vaccine in people with a history of asthma, in which case sometimes this provokes some asthmatic symptoms and sometimes requires a physician's visit or a bronchodilator. And for that reason, children with a history of asthma or any kind of wheezing are not recommended to get the intranasal vaccine. They should get the injected vaccine. So right now, this is a recommendation by the CDC or the ACIP Is there any legislation that you know about trying to make this a requirement, much like the other kinds of immunizations we give kids? I wouldn't be surprised to see um, things like school entry laws come into play. And first of all, just to make sure we're clear about where the recommendation stands, it's at this point a recommendation by the ACIP. The CDC is not formally signed off on this. It certainly would be unusual for them not to endorse the ACIP's recommendation. That actually hasn't officially occurred yet. The one school entry statute that I know about is in New Jersey where they have recently, and I don't know if it's been started this season or whether it's for this upcoming season, have recently required that children entering daycare, so that is children, say, two to five or so, get influenza vaccine before entering state-licensed daycares. Does Medicaid or other government health care programs cover the flu vaccination in accordance with the ACIP guidelines? Yeah, they do. Medicare certainly has paid for influenza vaccine for seniors for quite a long time. I believe Medicaid also would pay for qualified folks. Probably the biggest help that the federal government gives for paying for vaccine is through the Vaccines for Children Fund. And that's, as you probably know, uh, legislation passed back in the early 90s that provides for free vaccine for children that are uninsured, but also children that are uninsured, those whose health plans don't cover vaccine costs. And that ends up providing some help for as much as 60% of U.S. children. Is there anything on the CDC website or any other place that you could recommend for physicians who are interested in either finding out more about this or directing families and parents to a site for information? Sure. I mean, I'm certainly prejudice when it comes to this, but but I think our CDC website, the influenza website, is just chock full of information. It has the latest ACIP recommendations. It'll have the provisional recommendations for this upcoming flu season. But it's also got lots of things designed specifically for healthcare professionals to help uh, educate their patients, to educate them about the latest facts about vaccine effectiveness. And really, there's just, uh, you could spend many hours reading it if you're really into flu. Is there any particular piece of disinformation that you want to disavow about flu vaccinations? Well, the biggest one that we run into is that the vaccine itself causes the flu, and it's not possible for that to be the case. I think that would be the one I would want to emphasize, and I would hope providers emphasize to their patients. The the viruses contained in the injected vaccine are killed. They can't cause flu symptoms, 
and for the intranasal vaccine, they've weakened in such a way that they can't cause the systemic symptoms of flu. And I think what fools people is that there are lots of respiratory diseases circulating in the winter. Of course, many of them are not influenza, and it's easy to pick one up in the days after you get vaccinated against flu and then attribute it to the vaccine. This has been a tough flu season for everyone, especially children and the healthcare providers who treat them. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Tony Fiore, a vaccination and immunization expert from the CDC in Atlanta, for talking to us about the ACIP's flu vaccination recommendations for children. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.